I will say, having worked on the, on Grabash Christmas Badge never many times, it's a lot harder to make something that the audience is supposed to think is good. Welcome back, welcome back, everybody, to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob. And I'm Jackson. Welcome back, everyone. Here we are again in the middle of our theme, not middle, uh, it's kind of middle, I guess, of our themed month. Kind of, I mean, I guess as middle as we're going to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, exciting to be back and chatting about another play within the themed month of Mistletoe Month. That is right. Our themed month is something that we do every season. It's such a great part of No Script to to take time out of what we try to do, which is to talk about a huge variety of voices and stories and theater types and spend some time talking across scripts that have something in common between storytelling methods. And so across the life of No Script, we've done a lot of stuff, a lot of great stuff. And this theme month, I think, is no exception. We're looking at four different plays that have some to do with the holiday season. Uh, one of those four, I'll give you a heads up, is less to do with the holiday season than the other three, <laughs> but will also be just fun to talk about. But today is not that script. Today is the most holiday play of holiday plays, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> and probably the most, like, Christmassy holiday holiday plays of holiday plays yes. as well. This uh, play that we're talking about today is called The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. And if you have yet to hear of it, boy, are you sure? Um, <laughs> I think... <laughs> yeah, I, I'd be shocked. Yeah. I'd be shocked. <laughs> I, in, in, in the reading of this play again, rediscovered that, oh yes, I have seen this play at least once, if not twice before. <laughs> And it's just one of those. It's not plays. twenty times. <laughs> yeah. Just one of those plays that's been around for a while and and continues to stay for a while. Um, and I'm excited to talk about some of the reasons for that. I think there are lots of good reasons for why this play continues to be a, a mainstay within, uh, especially community theater and regional um uh, spots for people to get to engage a piece of theater around the holidays. The Herdmans were the worst kids in the entire world. <laughs> if, you, if that, like, in the whole, whole history of the world, I think is the line. If that sparks something for you, then you know the best Christmas pageant ever. I was thinking about this earlier today, Jackson, that of all the episodes of No Script we have done, and potentially will do in the future, this may be the play that the highest percentage of people in America have seen or been in. Ooh, I think maybe this one, maybe Midsummer Night's Dream, maybe... I mean, what else would even be in contention with the best Christmas pageant ever for, like, 
involvement in the life of America. Yeah, yeah, you'd be hard-pressed to find something. Maybe, like, some version of Wizard of Oz gives it a bit of a run for money. I thought that, too. Wizard of Oz, (laughs) yes, that's probably up there. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, certainly this this play and its its, uh, accessibility, its ability to cast a a wide variety of of characters, and its brevity as well, and we'll we'll talk about that as well. This this play packs a punch in a short amount of time, Um, and so, so, yeah, I think there's lots of of factors that come to bear to make this one of the most most produced most uh uh joined into uh productions out there today even Definitely. And as part of our themed month, we also want to mention that we have a partnership with Magic Mind. Magic Mind is working with us to make themed month happen for you this season. We'll be excited to give you some more info about Magic Mind at a later point in the episode, including a special and pretty extreme discount code that you may want to have a head towards if Magic Mind sounds like something that you are interested in. We'll get there when we get there. Uh, We are trying to keep these conversations uh, focused on the scripts because we just find in theme month that there's so much to do. So our context and our synopsis are going to be a little shorter, a little briefer this time around than maybe you are used to. But we will try to hit all the things we love to hit to talk about the play and to talk about the theme month around the play in the short time we have. Yes, indeed, we're going to keep things pretty snappy and and move things towards the conversation quickly. As we start to jump into the conversation, though, I do want to take just a moment and say thank you to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. Thank you all so much for being a part of the No Script crew and making things like Themed Month possible. We love getting to do the show, and we love getting to do the show with all of you. So if you are looking for a way to be a part of the No Script community and looking for a way to help out the show, patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast is a great way to do that. Number of different tiers. The lowest one's just one dollar, so uh, it's very very accessible, and you get access to patron only posts, early access to things like the scripts that we're reading and things like that. So if you're looking for a way to jump into the NoScript community in a really impactful and meaningful way, we'll see you over at Patreon.com/NoScriptPodcast. And now back to the script. Here we go. Okay, quick, quick, quick context section. I'm not going to talk a lot about Barb Robinson, although technically she's a new playwright to the podcast. I'm not going to talk about a whole lot of the life of the story or the show. Here's the things that I want you to know about the best Christmas pageant ever. First, it is based on a book. It's based on a novel by Barbara Robinson and then she went on to write the very, very popular stage adaption. That novel was first published in 1972 and has been around as one of the great Christmas stories in America since that time. There was a TV movie made after the novel kind of took off and became a bestseller and then the TV movie became a play that everybody and their mother does in the basement of whatever community theater or school or church around that you've got. There is a Best Christmas Pageant Ever musical, which I know nothing about except that it opened in 2017 at the Children's Theater of Charlotte, North Carolina. And then we found this to be sort of an interesting thing to do last week when we talked about Inspecting Carol. I'm able to pull up on the Concord Theatricals website. This is not like deep dive research or anything, but I think it's fascinating. They have a running list 
of the theaters that are producing, that have the rights to produce this play, the best Christmas pageant ever, this season. And so I I could not, in the time allotted, read all of the names listed. I mean, seriously, there's that many of them. (laughs) So here's the first three pages. (laughs) Fourth Street Players in Moberly, Missouri, Albuquerque Little Theater in Albuquerque, Apex Theater Studio in Florida, Artist Collaborative Theater in Kentucky, Austin Junior High School in Alabama, Avery Middle School in North Carolina, Bainbridge Little Theater in Georgia, Banzarini House in Arizona, Baptist Fellowship of Randolph in Vermont, Basin Theater Works in Odessa, Texas, Beat Children's Theater in Oregon, Bedford Youth Performing Company in New Hampshire, Birmingham Festival Theater in Alabama, Blessed Sacrament Huguenot Drama Department in Virginia, Brick Street Theater in Iowa, Calvary Bible Church in Colorado, Caneville Community Theater in Kentucky, Cape Cod Theater Company, home of Harmwich Stewart Theater in Massachusetts, Cape Fear Regional Theater in North Carolina, Center Players in Mississippi, Chamberverse Community Theater Inc. in Pennsylvania, Cherokee County School District in Georgia, Chester Drama Society in Nova Scotia, Christ Covenant School in Mississippi, Christian Life Church, Florida, and I am not even to the end of the seas. There's more C's to come. That is how many places are producing this show this year within an hour's drive of you if you live in the continental United States. There is a production of this show this season. There is. You can go see it. You may very well be able to be in it. Yeah. Check it out. That's what I'm saying. That's what I was thinking, Jackson. I mean, I, I, again, I already asked this question. We already answered it, but I just think it's fun to ponder on. Is there even is there another title even in contention with the best Christmas pageant ever for most popular play? Yeah, yeah, no, I that that it's it's it, that's a shocking list of of houses doing this, <laughs> this show for sure. Yeah, definitely, and and so so it is interesting to try to uh, wonder about the efficacy of trying to synopsize a show like this that is uh, passed into the popular <laughs> popular lexicon. But I'll give you just the short version as best that I can. Um, the best Christian pageant ever focuses on uh, the Bradleys, which are a family of of folks uh, made up of the mom Grace Bradley. The dad, Bob Bradley, uh, the brother, Charlie Bradley, and Beth Bradley, who is the narrator of the of the play. Um, Beth opens the play with the famous line, the Herdmans were the worst kids in the whole history of the world, um, and uh, begins to tell the story of the Herdmans. The Herdmans are this kind of ragtag group of uh, rabble-rousing younglings. Um, they, they are uh, in that position by virtue of uh, misfortune in the world. Their father left them and their mother works long shifts and so they're kind of left to raise themselves. Um, and also they, they tend to be kind of bullies, um, uh, especially the, the older uh, um, kids in the group um, are, are- Although uh, even per- the youngest Gladys is like well known for biting people apparently. Oh yeah. And uh, there's that great scene where the shepherds they all don't want to be shepherds because Gladys hits too hard. That's such yep. a classic line. <laughs> I don't want to be a shepherd. Gladys Herdman hits too hard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to the degree that like the whole town knows that they are that they are somewhat somewhat uh, extreme in their physical. <laughs> 
physicality and to the point that especially Beth's brother Charlie is uh, deeply afraid of Ralph, um, who kind of consistently steals his lunch um, and uh, uh, and bullies him and, and hits him. Uh, or, or, or maybe it's I think it's actually Leroy maybe is the one that he sits yeah, next to in Leroy. school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, Charlie is uh, glad of Sunday school and his church p- space by virtue of its absence of the herdsmen's. Um, uh, over and over, he the, the play kind of opens with this uh, conflict that Charlie has with their Sunday school teacher um, around him saying, my favorite part of Sunday school is not learning about God, not learning about the Bible, not reading the Bible, not spending time in prayer. It's that there's no herdsmen's here. Um, and he so glories in this fact that uh, in his kind of next interaction with the Herdmans, he lets slip that there is a zone safe from you all where I get to have all of my desserts to myself and uh, that you guys can't touch at all. And that's at Sunday school and at church. And that kind of like pings off of the elder, off, off one of the herdsmen's minds, and they're, they're like, okay, so we gotta go here where all the snacks are. So they're kind of like um, noted that, that that the churches, it might be a good spot for them to try to get to. So that's one thing that's happening that kind of leads to the events of this play. The other thing that's happening is it's Christmas time. Christmas is approaching, and the Christmas pageant is coming up. Mrs. Armstrong, there's a whole crew of missuses in this play, and Mrs. Armstrong is the longtime leader of the Christmas pageant, and also the off and also the you know potluck and all the things that are Christmas around uh, the church at this time of year and Mrs. Armstrong unfortunately has a very bad injury a broken leg of some sort and she is in the hospital and thus there is all sorts of chaos afoot as all of these pieces of Christmas are trying to get held together by the uh, the, the the crew of missuses at the church. Now, one by one, they all say, no, 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 I couldn't possibly do it. What about Grace? And of course, Grace is Beth's mom. And especially the thing that uh, gets put on Grace's plate is the Christmas pageant. So... Uh, Grace steps into the role of the director of the Christmas pageant and uh, starts to uh, audition for the role and notices that the the, the, uh, Herdmans are all very eager to jump into the production much to the chagrin of people like Alice who is a friend frenemy friend of Beth's who uh, believes that she is owed the role of Mary however uh, Imogene's uh, kind of portrayal of Mary is so fresh and interesting to uh, Beth's mom that uh, Imogene ends up in the role of Mary and all sorts of uh, other roles are kind of given to the Herdmans as they become pivotal members of the cast to briefly sum up the rest of the play you kind of know where it's going shenanigans occur the herdmans have never really heard the the the, the story of of the christmas pageant and so they're kind of introduced to it for the first time that they have lots of great questions lots of great inquisities about um about what's going on with the story and how maybe it best to improve it um one by one by one the rehearsals kind of get out of control and things spin off and it leaves eventually uh grace uh, in this position of i don't know if this is going to go off at all um who who knows how this play is going to happen everyone shows up the night of with very kind of like edgy costumes and things like that and eventually they just have to jump into the into the play itself and uh the production goes 
not according to the, the way that the script necessarily asks it to go, but one by one, the Herdmans bring these sort of like little extra things to the story that actually amplify the story. And all of the, the kind of missuses who came, Mrs. Armstrong, Mrs. Slocum, Mrs. Clark, Mrs. Clausing, Mrs. McCarthy, who all came to see the thing burn down, are won over by the fact that uh, the Herdmans kind of bring this sort of honesty to the role. In addition to all that, you have Alice throughout the whole thing kind of critiquing them and uh, Beth slowly beginning to defend the Herdmans more and more. So you kind of see this, this kind of communal move towards the Herdmans as, as uh, 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 people who, who are bringing something of, of real value to this pageant and, and a fresh perspective to things, including especially Imogene has this sort of like really touching moment around her role of Mary. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more in our, in our main conversation, but she kind of really gets into the role of Mary to the point that the doll that she has to end up using to uh, be baby Jesus is so convincingly held throughout the play that I think it's Mrs. McCarthy who says, oh, no, no, or maybe it's Mrs. Armstrong who says, oh, no, no, that was a real child up there. There's no way that could have been a doll or something like that. In the end, the... Uh, the uh, I, it's kind I, of a- what's interesting about that, I, I hate to steal from our conversation later, but I don't know that we'll get back to it. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that finally occurred to me, and I've done, I've been in this play several times, I've directed this play, I've seen this play, so I've got a lot of experience with the best Christmas pageant ever. But one of the things that finally occurred to me this time through was that the reason that's true is probably because Imogen had to take care of baby Gladys. That finally yeah. occurred to me that that authenticity is a lived experience authenticity and not some kind of like Christmas magic. Maybe I, I'm speaking out of my own ignorance on that probably, but that this time through I was feeling like that that's why. It's because yeah. she authentically had the experience of probably having to, in large part, take care of an infant. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So she, she so yeah, she definitely brings that to the role, kind of has this sort of like holy experience in the play, which leads to a kind of welcoming in a holy experience. Even the like ham that they bring as the the wise the wise men come instead of bringing frankincense and myrrh, the the, the herdmen's bring this like Christmas ham and give it give it as well. So there's all sorts of little things. I'm sure we'll get to some of them in our conversation. But the play ends with the kind of uh, core family, the Bradleys, all kind of uh, uh, having a, a, a glowing moment where they appreciate the pageant for what it was and uh, start to transition into the Christmas season as it's I believe the pl- it takes place on Christmas Eve the pageant and so it's almost past midnight and Christmas is ushered in um, and uh, they have this kind of like touching moment at the end where the family has all kind of come together through Grace's direction of the play um, and ushered in the Christmas season um, in, a, in a somewhat chaotic but ultimately um, a resonant way for them to begin Christmas together. Yeah, it's it, this is a very, very Christian play in the sense of like the the Christian ethics and the Christian story and the truth of the Christ birth story are kind of central to the play. And we don't do a ton of religious conversation on this show. And so we'll we'll focus more on the the play and how the it was it's written and stuff like that. But it is worth noting that this play relies on like the miracle of the baby Jesus birth and that sort of translating into the miracle of the Herdman story. 
story and the the really strong religious connection between those things, which is why a lot of the organizations that I read in my uh, shoot through the ABC list, and I didn't even get through all the C's, were churches. And that's why churches like to do it and why a lot of community theaters do, because they're uh, they often tend to have a Judeo-Christian ethic at those institutions as well. Before we get too far into our conversation here and start really discussing all of the wonderful and 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 strange and amazing things about the best Christmas pageant ever, uh, we just want to take a second to thank our friends over at Magic Mind for setting up this opportunity to help make the themed month happen. I got to tell you, as a major, major coffee drinker, something like Magic Mind is just a awesome addition to what I do. I mean, how how many times as a coffee drinker, Jackson, do you and I both experience this like want to drink coffee? I love drinking coffee. It gives me energy for like you and I both have incredibly busy lives, which is why we're recording this conversation at the insane time that we're actually recording this conversation <laughs> right now. And we just like, coffee is part of the thing that keeps me going, and I just like it for the taste and the warm experience. But like, when it gets to that point where I'm like, should I have that 2pm coffee? I want it, but it's going to make me super jittery. It's going to make my brain like rattle like coffee sometimes does. Magic Mind is a lovely little companion for that particular problem. This little shot improves the experience of drinking coffee. It increases mental focus. Um, it make, it's, it actually allows you to drink less coffee because the coffee itself gets you through the whole day without the crash. Magic Mind has all natural ingredients. They're from the best suppliers they could find. It's no sugar. It's nut-free, vegan, keto, paleo-friendly, all that stuff. It's just a little shot best served chilled. You take it alongside your coffee. Again, we said this last time, but I think it's true. We're not, we're not, we're not in bed with a coffee substitute. I'll say it that way. <laughs> that will not happen. We're not coffee substitute people. Right, we're right. coffee additive people. <laughs> it's, it's quite true. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. This, uh, uh, this, this is a great sort of uh, supplemental um, a piece, piece of a morning ritual or of just a daily ritual of uh, kind of maintaining flow state, maintaining energy, and kind of cognitive processing, and and also like being able to kind of maintain those things without the added jitters and st and stress amplification and anxiety inherent in some of coffee as well. So, so definitely, uh, this is, I mean, this is a great, great chance to try this out. It's a great chance to try out the subscription model from Magic Mind. Um, our, our discount or our, or our link that, that we get, that you can use is magicmind.com slash no script. And, uh, you can use the code no script 20. That's all capitals, no script 20. And that's going to give you 20% off of the product, but also something I believe it's like 56 or 58% off the subscription model. So it's a great way to jump into giving it a try. Um, again, these are, are uh, great little little like matcha yeah. style shots that go along with your coffee or go along with your kind of an afternoon moment if you want that as well. So it's a great just, way to get you know, into it. Just just try it. You get the discount code. They are great with refunds. Just give it a shot. Thank you to our friends at Magic Mind for sponsoring this themed month. Glad to part with them. Part glad to partner with them rather and glad to offer you that discount code as part of themed month. And now to the best Christmas pageant ever. And this this play 
I, I will say, uh, and I, I think it's important to say that the the presentation of poverty and of uh, of complex social dynamics that contribute to generational poverty is, I will say, somewhat outdated at times in the best Christmas pageant ever. It's from 1972. This is basically just the text of the book adapted slightly to play forms. So, you know, it's from 1972. There's only so much you can expect from its particular social lens, I think. But... I, I also find myself in the position of being kind of a passionate defender of the best Christmas pageant ever because <laughs> it strongly, the play for being a Christmas play strongly presents the idea of generational poverty and says if you're trapped, if your families get trapped in these cycles, it is incredibly hard to break out of them. You have every social disadvantage and that makes it hard. We, you see these trauma cycles, these economic disadvantageous systems uh, in play in, in this Christmas play. I mean, you show up to your church or your community theater or whatever to see a Christmas play, and what you get is a presentation of a community being forced face-to-face -to, -face to accept people who are different than them, who do not necessarily have the same values as them and forced to confront the sort of reality of their social cycles. So for its incomplete and sometimes um, inaccurate presentations of those social cycles of poverty, I also think it has a real value in at least attempting to say this is part of life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You get to see the different kind of social strata of um, bias <laughs> um, that, that are all at work against the Herdmans in this. You have kind of the, uh, you know, right, right right in the mix of it is Charlie, who is, of course, getting kind of bullied, um, which is not 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 great for Charlie. Um, but then you have the like, like next tier as well. You have like the Alices who are like, Oh, these people, these 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 kids couldn't possibly jump into this because they don't they don't get it. Like they're look at them, they're showing up with whatever they're bringing. They're bringing a ham as as the frankincense and myrrh. Um, and you you uh kind of so you have that that tier of bias against them as well. You also have the parents, um, like the 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 the, the Mrs. Crew, the Mrs. Armstrong and Slocum and Clark and Clausing and McCarthy, who won't even, who like won't trust their babies with Imogene, which forces uh Grace to have to have her. Or use a doll to do it. So you have all, yeah. Which, the play again, really like, like again, this time through, thinking, th reading the play, that like the lived experience of Imogen having to care for her baby sister as part of their life. We learn that their parents are not really around in part because they have to work so much. Whatever, like that finally got to me again, as I was saying earlier. And that makes the fact that the the like the church lady crew won't let Imogen take care of their babies like more discriminatory. Yeah, <laughs> Because definitely. she's probably the only one of this crew of, of you know, young women who might play Mary who, like, has actual experience taking care of an infant. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you, you get to see kind of the all, or uh, at least at least one snapshot of the different stratas of bias that they're up against. And you also see what happens when someone goes against that bias and does welcome them in. I think I think Grace kind of serves the role of like, so, you know, the, the an outlier who says, well, let's let's try it. <laughs> let's see. Let's see if see what happens. And you also get to see kind of right away. 
them really get drawn into into what's going on. And they have like for for all the kind of z- zany options that they bring to it, they're all really earnest options. Like they're all like practical things. Like what are you gonna use frankincense and myrrh for? We we need like let's let's give them a gift of of like meals and things like that. And Imogene's like you can't just like hold the baby or place it in a manger you have to burp the baby and too much to alice's chagrin um uh at, at having to mention yeah, you burping can't, the you baby can't jesus. burp the baby jesus <laughs> I, I i i will admit that as i was reading through the play today i found myself tearing up because i mm. just think this story is beautiful now this is i admit fully in part because I have a huge nostalgia with the play. Again, I've done it many, many times in many, many different contexts. And in part because I, like, am in a Christian context. And so the story of the birth of the baby Jesus means a lot to me personally and to my family and to my community and to the way that I was raised. So acknowledging all of that bias, I also just find it incredibly moving to have this community that is asked to change their traditions and who are hugely resistant to change even the most simple of their traditions. And they are forced to, just badgered into it by the way the play unfolds. And what they find is that their life is enriched and made more beautiful by by being willing to accept change by being willing to accept their traditions not happening in the most holy, pure, righteous, like upstanding, quiet, beautiful way. That instead it is the sort of loud, brash, unpolished, that just like the way that this community is is, is sort of bent out of the way they were expecting things to go and the beauty that they find because of it, I just find that an incredibly moving story. Yeah. No, it it certainly is. It certainly is a moving story. And I think you're right to kind of focus the lens of this play on what the community learns. Because I think almost, almost maddeningly, the end of the play drops the Herdman's. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, they, they kind of like they they end the pageant and they don't even join for the cocoa afterwards. Um, like there's 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 this like you know they left and they left us the ham because it was a present. Um, and so so there is this kind of like oh oh so the so you do kind of view it through view it through the lens of what the effect that they had on the community itself. And and you perhaps have the hope that that, that they'll continue to be welcomed into the community. But um but the 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 reading of it itself is just like, oh, and they did the pageant, it was great, and everyone's minds were changed um as as a result of their kind of jumping into the community in this way. Yeah, you're you're right to point out that the the story does at after the pageant the herdmans just sort of vanish into the wind and you you know you don't know more afterwards about what happens to them or what happens to the church community. I think thinking of that structurally and narratively, the reason why the herdmans come to church in the first place is for snacks, right? They hear from Charlie that the church just yeah. hands out free snacks. And of course it seems like a sort of well, we're the herdmans we just like candy, but then you learn, of course, across the course of the play, that they don't have enough to eat, and so stealing Charlie's lunch and getting extra desserts and stuff is actually fairly important to their sources of nutrition, such as it is. But when they show up at church, that's what they're there for, right? Is the desserts. And so thinking about it just narratively and not 
in terms of what that could mean for the theme. It does make a narrative conclusion that they leave before the snacks, right? They don't yeah. stay for hot cocoa and candy canes. In fact, they leave food behind. And so there, I think the story then says there's a change in the Herdmans too. They came and they got something that they were looking for, and it wasn't. It didn't end up being snacks. Now, again, that may be one of those places where the story does not have a, a, a perfect view of 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 social inequality and things like that. It would have been nice for them to still be around instead of it, the story just being about oh these wealthy rich middle class folks getting their mind changed by the right. poor kids that come to church. <laughs> like I do, I do recognize that, and also think. That watching Imogen, like, discover the beauty of the Christmas story herself is incredible. Watching Gladys come barging in as many times as I've done this play and directed this play and seen it, no matter what little kid is playing Gladys, for her to burst on the stage and go, Hey, you! Unto you a child is but it's just beautiful. <laughs> and the, the Herdman's, like, bringing a ham because that's what they have to offer is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, there's all sorts of kind of like um uh, uh re- reversals or, or or perhaps surprises um that 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 are all these sort of like beautiful moments of of expecting a, expecting a much like to tie it into some of the, some of the rest of mistletoe month, much like last week's conversation around like you're expecting the play to blow up. Almost, almost exactly the same, actually, in terms of like timing of structure. Um, by the time you reach the last quarter of the play, you're expecting the play within the play to blow up, and and what happens is a reversal of that expectation. In fact, a even richer moment is born into the world as a result of of the the herdman's changes, but also um the way that Beth has to show up to it as well, and the way that the whole kind of crew shows up to it um as as a result of the changes that they offer. Similarly, it's not quite the same because as we mentioned last time, what is produced in Inspecting Carol is a is an objectively bad piece of theater, but 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 it well, but what I, is that's that's actually fascinating to me because you're you're so right that both Inspecting Carol and the best Christmas pageant ever, the performance at the end is, is a pretty crucial thing. And in Inspecting Carol, you do sort of a montage through the Christmas, the Dickens Christmas Carol story, but it's really, really bad. And yeah. that in the best Christmas pageant ever, by contrast, you actually see the whole Christmas pageant. Now, I, you know, it, I assume in an actual Christmas pageant, it would be little more lengthy because this is like an abbreviated but you do see it beginning to end without too many real cuts in the middle um but it's supposed to be good like we talked last week about how in inspecting carol part of the experience is that you the audience member recognize that what you're seeing is awful and then the sort of funny humor miracle of it is when the uh, NEA person says, oh, that was amazing. And we go, ha ha, I know it wasn't. I, I watched it. It was awful. I will say, having worked on the on Best Christmas Pageant ever many times, it's a lot harder to make something that the audience is supposed to think is good and have an experience of than to make something yeah. the audience is supposed to think is bad. It's super easy to make bad stuff, let me tell you. (laughs) But when a play calls for excellence, 
That is very difficult to do. If you have a play where you're supposed to have a master, like actually I think this about Harvey, if you know the, the rabbit play Harvey, there's supposed to be a pretty masterful painting of Harvey as part of that. I think that's hard to achieve. I think it's hard to achieve excellence. And so in the best Christmas pageant ever, when you get to the end, you're supposed to do this Christmas pageant that's supposed to be beautiful. And that's difficult. (laughs) That's a tricky thing to try to give the audience something that they also go, you know what? That was beautiful. I was moved Mm -hmm. by that. And then the characters talk about it being beautiful and being moved by it. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you, I mean, the, the the way that this this play is uh, often done is as a Christmas show, um, uh, and and I think I think like some of that is also. It's just interesting that that's in the air of this piece as well. Um, you you have again a sort of seasonality helping you out with the kind of beauty of the moment. Because again, in this in this season, we talked about this a little bit last time. We're kind of teed up for moments of gratitude. We're teed up for. Um, we believe that a miracle can happen um, uh, one, one way or another, whatever that miracle is. Um, we're kind of uh, more inclined to watch a miracle on 34th Street during the season of Christmas because uh, it's, it's in the air, as it were, um, that, that, that impossible things like Santa and stuff like that can happen. Um, so so it, there, there, there is that kind of also suffusing sense that is in this. That being said, it is still so diff- especially especially um, uh, like there's I've, I've I've had the chance to work with great child actors before, and it, and it's difficult to get a crew of like I don't know what this is. It's a big crew. Like there's especially like if you I count, think like, the, the last time like I that. directed <laughs> it, we probably had twenty five children in the play. My goodness, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a hard thing to pull. So in addition to pulling off a show that has that many people in it, you're also kind right. of pulling <laughs> off a pageant. It's a <laughs> piece of meta theater. With yeah. a play within a play. And yeah. the play within the play is supposed to be excellent. I mean, that right. is a, that's a tall order. It is. And, and with it's children. Supposed be, it's supposed to be unexpectedly excellent, too. You have to tee up yeah. the expectation that it's going to be bad, and yet it comes around in the end with a, with a, with a surprise. Yeah, it, it's, it's really a lovely little storytelling example. And it, re- it relies on, you know, narratives that already exist about the birth of Jesus and, and social narratives about how, you know, children who are poor are by, you know, oh, of course, they're also mean and terrible. And those are somewhat outdated ideas of poverty. And, and the, the Christ's birth story is not as common now as it was in the 70s for everybody to know so well. And so there are difficulties with the best Christmas pageant ever that make it a little more insular now than it probably was 50 years ago when the book came out. Um, and, and maybe there will be another thing that comes out which tells a comparable story. But this is maybe related to the broader um, mistletoe month idea too, Jackson. Something that I think probably a lot of people would agree with is that around the holidays, there becomes a focus on um, disadvantaged folks in our society in a way that is not the case for a lot of the year. And that's, of course, not a great thing about our society, that it takes the holidays coming around for us to all go, oh, we should maybe do some volunteer work, or we should give some extra money, or we should fight social injustice, or or whatever. But I do think that that is kind of a 
truth in American society. Families are more inclined to go and do volunteer work in the you know around the holidays, and and your you know maybe your church or your school or your whatever is taking or your work is taking up a special collection at the holidays or or whatever. And so there is this focus on disadvantaged people in the holiday season that also is part of the best Christmas pageant ever's like uh, framework. Yeah, for sure. I think I think uh, certainly in northern hemisphere observing places, um there there is this sort of like like winter winter has arrived. And so this is a moment where generosity can and should pour out in a community around folks who yeah, who who maybe have some disadvantages or just need things as a result of that seasonality change. Um it happens to coincide with a pretty high uh, uh, kind of uh, liturgical calendar, if that's if that's something that folks are involved in, or or civic holidays as well, tend to align in this season. And so there is this kind of like setup of of kind of a move towards an awareness of that, and a move towards kind of uh, extending hospitality, extending generosity out. And we've seen that in both in both of the plays. Probably probably a little less so in Inspecting Carol, but certainly Wayne in Inspecting Carol is kind of this question mark of whether or not he'll be accepted into the group. Um, and and that's that's front and center here in this play is will the herdmans be accepted into the group enough that that they're able to be a part of this uh, tradition that everyone holds together that's certainly hanging in the balance all the times that you have you have Alice and Beth with all of these um, uh, it's an interesting uh, and and pretty compelling uh, scripting choice to have them have these kind of over the top conversations um and not not uh in in like an over the top sort of way but rather while grace is reading through something or going through an interaction with the herdmans you have this scene with uh alice and beth and they're kind of speaking over everything that's happening behind them um so so there is this kind of like superimposition of of tension and wondering whether or not it's even possible for uh, Alice especially, but also Beth as the narrator to kind of welcome and be be uh, hospitable toward the Herdmans. No, I think that's definitely true. And and I it, it's hard for me to know when the book came out in 72 or when the play, when it was first produced, I think at the Seattle Children's Theater, although I don't remember the year, you know, what, if the uh, discriminatory attitudes of the church would be quite as obvious as they, I think, clearly are now. Like our cultural context has changed around this story, and now you you get you see the church folks, and they're you know worried about these basically these poor kids coming to church because they you know have different needs and they have different you know values, and they just aren't from the same upper middle class culture. Uh, that their attitudes towards them are are obviously terrible. And that's obvious now. And I don't know when it originally came out if that would have been as obvious. But I think in our cultural context now, we definitely can see right away that the way that the community responds to the Herdmans is unfair to them. And so we're maybe more or, or maybe we're less surprised by the turnaround at the end of the play than perhaps would have been the case 50 years ago i don't know that but that's a supposition yeah and i think the i think some of the staying power of the play is that there is a turnaround 
at the end of the play. I think that that's that's the kind of necessary thing that has allowed this play to continue, <laughs> even even with some of the more dated attitudes towards towards things. Uh, allowed this play to continue is that there is a turn, and and that turn can be leaned into. Um, in in kind of a more current vernacular way than than may I don't know I don't know I didn't watch it in the eighties I wasn't born yet um but but maybe there was <laughs> maybe, maybe there was maybe you it's always both, been there brother. exactly maybe it's always been in there maybe it's always always been a way that audiences receives it but certainly now um leaning into that theme I I agree would be a more prevalent thing uh for for the end of that play. Well, it's a nice short play, and we're going to have a nice short conversation about it. That's all the time we've got to talk about the best Christmas pageant ever by Barbara Robinson. This play has been uh, just such a delightful part of my life, the powerful story of opening your heart to people who are different from you and being willing to accept what the the beauty that you're going to discover in return for that openness, I just think is a, is a really powerful story, a really powerful holiday story. And always a yeah, it's always a delight to to bring multi generationality together. There's lots of ways that you could maybe not do that too. Like just have the whole cast be kids would be an interesting way to cast this play. Um, so many so many fun ways to kind of interact with it. And certainly, as Jacob said at the beginning of this show, you are going to likely have the chance to see it near you. So if slash when you are in the house watching this production or acting in this production or reading in preparation for it and having had listened to this conversation, want to have more conversation about the best Christmas pageant ever. We'd love to be folks that get to have that talk with you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on any of those sites. We'd love to keep talking about the best Christmas pageant ever with you. If you liked this episode or any of the other episodes in our two into our themed month now, we're about halfway through our overall season. We've got 11 seasons. You liked any of those, just recommend us to your family, your friends, anybody you know that likes stories, theater, writing, discussions about narratives and themes and that kind of nerd stuff. Send them our way because I think they'll like this podcast for sure. They can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you find your podcast. That's where we're going to be. You can also like us on Facebook, and a link to the new episode appears on our Facebook feed every Monday when we publish. Until next week, when we're back with another holiday-themed script, I am Jacob. And I'm Jackson. Thanks for listening to No Script, the podcast. <laughs>